A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome, or I say welcome back to the Independent Football Podcast. I'm Ed Malian. Uh, I believe I wasn't here last week. Were you in, you were in charge last week? No idea. No, it was Johnny. Day. Sorry, it was Johnny in charge last week. Uh, that is evidence, in case you didn't know already, that I haven't listened to last week's podcast because I was uh, without internet for a week, which was very pleasant indeed. How was your break? Uh, it, it was excellent. That voice that you've just heard, by the way, is Jack Pitt Brook. Uh, Hello, listeners. It, um, and, and Johnny is set to my right. Hello. Uh, and he's just popping out but he'll be back in a second um so yeah what do we see this weekend we saw i guess uh, a bit of an end to the Mourinho story with manchester united funny getting a win that story had kind of threatened to take over every single podcast we're going to record this season so it's it's nice to move away from manchester united for a, for an episode um what would you say is the biggest story to come out of the weekend then which is not manchester united related um i i i i I actually think the biggest story is United, but putting that to one side, I think that like one th- West Ham, I think West Ham is completely unavoidable. So, so West Ham lost a, a 93rd minute winner by Adama Traore for Wolves. Uh, West Ham lose again, they're on zero points. Yeah. Lost four from so four. So they are what, like four-sevenths of the way to a, a Frank de Boer? Yeah. Uh, I, I, think they're, I think they're in serious trouble. I think that the team is a mess, like the signings aren't, it's not even so much that the signings are not individually good. It's that the whole like the whole system is such a shambles. Well, do you ev- think everything has gone like things it's just, is it basically it isn't working. It's not a football team in the identi- like in any identifiable sense. It's a kind of strange mix of individual players who are e- you know who've been bought badly over the last few years or badly this summer overseen by a manager who isn't really a manager overseen by Manuel Pellegrini, who is, you know, a coach who has achieved success in his career uh, in very, very different circumstances from this one. But I don't really think that his heart is in making West Ham the kind of, you know, competitive, organised, united team that they need to be. I think they're, frankly, I think they're as far away from being that as they were in the dark days at the end of the Slavon Bilic era. Um, and I kind of don't... It's just, I mean, this, is, this, is, this might sound ridiculous because we've only had four games. I don't. The answer isn't obvious to me. Like I don't see how they get better from here. I haven't, um, mani- I haven't managed to watch um, the West Ham game from this weekend, but I was at a wedding this weekend with uh, a lot of friends who are West Ham fans uh, for a variety of reasons, and the kind of thing. Uh, it's it's like a same all over again sort of thing with them, and, and the only you know when, when these things keep happening, the same things happen again. But it's it's a different coach, and it's a different players and stuff. You have to conclude, I guess, that the the thing that's the consistent problem, the constant in all of this, is, is the owners and, and how the club yeah. is run. Yeah, completely. And that's why that's that's why I think that they're not 
it's not like a situation where they've appointed the wrong manager, but if they can just appoint the right one, they'll get it right. Or if they can just, you know, appoint a director of football, then they'll be okay. I think, I don't see how they can get it right while David Sullivan is owner. I think even if they do appoint the director of football, that would still be a man appointed by David Sullivan who would answer to David Sullivan. Um, and I think in many senses, Pellegrini is such a kind of like emblematic Sullivan pick in the sense that they've gone for a big name and a CV rather than somebody who is good at the job in hand with no real consideration for what are the demands of the job. And it's, it's such a kind of like flashy cosmetic surface level, yeah. surface level appointment from David Sullivan. And I just kind of, I mean, I was talking to, like I often do with West Ham, I was talking to Jacob Steinberg at The Guardian about this. And it, it's just like, I don't think, I don't see what the causes for optimism are there, even, even though the, some of the players are quite good. I just think that they're, they're, they're so far away from being a team. They, uh, they, from what I've seen of them this season, don't look good. I think they've conceded the second most shots in the entire league, which is always a, a bad start. If you're conceding a lot of shots, you're more likely to concede a lot of goals. And they, I, I like the hire of Pellegrini because I think I think he's a good coach. Despite you know, there's a lot of knocks on him because he was a bit boring at Man City in press conferences. Being boring in press conferences is not the, the be-all and end-all. He also underachieved with that squad at City. Yeah, but I, I, He won the Premier League basically by default in 2013-14 with an incredibly strong squad. Basically by default, but I mean, that Liverpool team was electric and they Liverpool were better than Chelsea, that Liverpool team. Liverpool and Chelsea had to screw up for City to kind of limp over the line at the end. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Over a whole season, I, I, don't, I don't think you necessarily win it by default. I think... Also, you've got to look at the previous stuff he's done. He's also done, you know, he did so well at Villarreal. And that was playing a completely different system and a different, you know, and, and they, they did it in a very different way to what he did with City and to what he's done elsewhere. And it makes me think that he's obviously a coach who is flexible. He'll try different things to make things work. I agree that maybe the West Ham job is not the most natural fit for him. But I do think that if you hire a, a coach who's a good coach, um, then you know it's at least a good start, and it's, I'd rather have him than players? David Moyes. Is he a good coach of good players, or I mean, I think he's probably a good coach of good players, and that's why I don't think he he will be a good coach of these bad players. He he coached much worse players in previous jobs. Yeah, he's coached much worse players at yeah, Real and at Malaga. Like, but he had like a Raquelme or an Isco to build around, whereas here he has no one of that kind of intelligence. Well, I mean, they just spent forty happen. million on Felipe Anderson. Notionally, you could say that they do have these players. They, they do have high-quality players. Um, like Arnautovic is a bit mercurial, I guess, but he is a high-quality player in terms of technical ability. Um, that's why I kind of thought it would work, because they have bought players that would look like those thriving. But I guess that's the problem, is they put a lot of money into the area of the pitch they maybe didn't need it. Because even last year, their defence was poor under, a, notionally, a quite a conservative manager in David Moyes. It doesn't appear to have got much better this year. Well, I think Moyes did improve them defensively. I think I think Moyes did a really, really good job there. They were they were definitely heading down under Billich. Would you have rather had? Would you rather have this season for this season? Would you rather have kept Moyes or had Pellegrini? Moyes. You'd rather have Moyes. Yeah, I th I just think they need to. It's it's a club which is crying out for organization, discipline, like standards being set. And I know that, you know, Moyes isn't everyone's cup of tea. And frankly, I, I thought I had very low expectations when they appointed him in the middle of last season. But I was kind of impressed by just the fact that he's a sort of, I thought he was serious. And I thought he, I thought that his solutions, while not nice, were basically the medicine that West Ham needed. 
And I don't think that Pellegrini offers that. I think Pellegrini's approach is more like, go on, lads, you figure it out for yourselves. You're all good players. And it was the first job, I guess, that Moyes had had that was similar to the first job where he actually did well, which was, was Everton. I mean, excluding Preston, obviously, which was in a different division. But, but he took over. I remember when he took over at Everton, uh, the season before, they'd finished 17th. Is that right? They'd just survived relegation that year. And then, obviously, the next year, they overachieved. They finished, is that the year they finished fourth? I think so. Um, but either way, you're taking a club that was kind of just above relegation and you're building it slowly and, and methodically. You're getting the hard bits done and, and, and you build brick by brick and you kind of take the club up the, the league table. I do think that's kind of where Moyes was headed with, with West Ham. But what, one of the reasons he isn't there, presumably, as we said earlier, is, is the ownership. I remember last year we were talking about who we think the worst-run club in the Premier League is. And um, Miguel pretty stridently made a case for West Ham. And it, it, it it's is... Hard, I mean, it's, it's really hard to disagree Yeah, with no, it is difficult. It is, and, and, you know, it, it, I know it's just a, a few games at the start of the season. But this is a club where it always seems to be... These things always seem to be happening. They always seem to be, you know, spending big on a on a player who's flashy and shiny and clearly a deal that's driven by an agent rather than any sort of rigorous scouting process or recruitment process um and, and they lose to Wolves who I guess have had a they've had an up and down start but first well I mean any away win in the Premier League is good especially when you're trying to survive relegation Wolves have got a win at West Ham and they I mean they're, they're a good side from what we've seen so far do you not think yeah I think that they should have they sorry they could have won their games against Everton, I think, Leicester. Yeah, Everton they could have won, um, for sure. They're creating lots of chances. They look like... I mean, th- they've got an identity, which, as we've touched on before, is probably the most important thing when you come up into the Premier League, is to n- is basically to know what you're trying to do. Uh, if you do that, then you've got a chance to get... Uh, if, you, if you know what you're trying to do, then you've got a chance of getting there. If you don't know what, you tr- what you're trying to do, you're going to end up like, like West Ham or QPR. Um, so that's why... That's, that's why I think that they can take... Uh, like confidence from their performances so far and why I think that this win was kind of overdue but I think they'll be fine Wolves we've said it before on the podcast I think they will I mean, I'm sure they'll finish in mid-table I'd be very surprised if they're struggling in the second half of this season I, uh, I also look at the other teams that, uh, I mean Crystal Palace lost to Southampton which are two teams that are probably going to be in that bottom half mixed uh, this season Danny Ings is going to be huge for Southampton this year, I think. The second goal was just a late one when Palace are knocking on for to try and get an equaliser. Palace now have had what I mean. That, so Wilfred Zaha didn't play in this game. Um, it's like a worrying look at what a Zaha-less Palace would be like. Well, I think we saw it last year as well. Yeah. You know, the, I think the stat was they lost every single game without him. It certainly is peculiar um, to not play Max Meyer, not give Max Meyer his first start. Um, in a home game against a team like Southampton, when Zaha's not playing, like that seemed like a really obvious change to make. Palace got a couple of problems that, uh, that they need to solve, and one of them seems to be a centre forward. And they were so they really thought about bringing in a, a loney like Tammy Abraham, and then didn't. So they they kind of committed to having Benteke, Sorloth, and then Connor Wickham is is somewhere owned by the club, um, and Benteke just still is in that rut. You know, he's, he's had good chances, really good chances. He's in the what right places. Gone, what do you think has gone wrong with Ben Tech? Lots of people point to the Achilles tear. Um, you, you watch him now. Uh, the thing I'd say is, I remember, so he scored one of his, his best Villa goals, really, at Sellers Park, where he robbed someone on the right touchline about 50 yards from goal. He, he, I think the defender was trying to guide it out. He nicked the ball off them, ran away from the man, burst past another, 
kind of round at the keeper and, and, and finishes it off. But it's, it's one where he picks up the ball 50 yards from goal, there's nothing on, and he makes a goal from absolutely nothing. The current iteration of Christian Benteke could never dream of doing that. Like He just doesn't have the explosiveness. Yeah. And, and I know Achilles are bad for, for uh, robbing players of that explosion. And you see that in, in a lot of sports, especially sports where explosion is important, like elite football, um, the NFL and basketball. I mean, but in basketball, it can end your career completely because if you can't get that repaired in the same way, then yeah. it robs you of, of one of the key things, which is athleticism. Um, I think he still is... He he's adapted his game and he's had good games in terms of like link up play and and he he's, he still wins headers and he chests the ball down and then plays it into the path of Zaha or Van Arnholt or whoever and he and he does have something about him that suggests he's still got it. But all the while he doesn't score a goal, it, it really is painful and he's ha- he's getting in the right positions to score them, but he is still not scoring them. Did they try and get rid of him in the summer? I think the only prospect of selling him was if a Chinese club came in with a lot of money because you don't want to sell him for what the current market rate would be within the Premier League. Um, his would wages... Would you buy him in the Premier League? I've, uh, probably not. I mean, his wages preclude... Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe someone like West Ham, like, you know, if they really needed a striker or something. As soon as Andy Carroll's diagnosis mm. goes down, maybe you, you bring in Benteke. But Palace spent £30 million, pounds, £32 million pounds on Christian Benteke, by far the biggest signing in the club's history in terms of uh, money, and it made him the highest-paid player at the club at the time, highest-paid player in the history of the club. So he was an enormous commitment, and he had a great season where he basically kept Palace up with 15 goals or so in the Premier League. Last year was, was pretty dire, but they survived regardless. He just needs to get going. But I think it's one of those where... For example, I, I, we almost should have written this piece, which is, if the deadline had been 31st of August this year rather than other, yeah. what, 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 what areas would clubs have strengthened after two or three games? And I think Palace would have brought in a, a lone centre-forward. That's a really good question. I think West Ham, sure West Ham would have brought in another midfielder. Yeah, you're right. Palace certainly need, certainly need a striker. Because Sorloth played in the uh, League Cup, and he's, so he's, for people who aren't really plugged in, he's like a 22-year-old uh, Danish-Norwegian kid, uh, Scandinavian kid, really big, strapping blonde lad like six foot four six foot five gets around but uh, people that saw the league cup game in its entirety i've only seen the highlights thought he just didn't he, he looked like a you know like a championship striker but you know he's got the potential to be what palace want him to be but he's not quite there yet so if benteke were to go down then it would be a little bit more difficult for palace though they do have as I say players like zaha and townsend who have started the season very well uh, Brighton Fulham is another game in the bottom half of that table with two interesting sides. Um, two-two, probably fair enough. Uh, what, what are we thinking now about Fulham? They've levelled out their their rough start. The first two games didn't go quite to plan, but they do look like a a team that, as you said, you know they've got the identity, which is absolutely huge. Yeah. And also, they were always going to start the season slowly because of their because they bought so many players. Like that's inevitable when you mm-hmm. try, when you basically buy a half and half a new team. Uh, yeah, I've got no reason to. Yeah, no reason to resile from my start of the season prediction that Fulham will will, will be a good, a strong mid-table finish. Um, they've got good players, they've got a good manager. Uh, things have slowly started to click. I know they kind of screwed it up on Saturday, but the fact that they got into a 2-0 winning position at Brighton away, you know, which is not an easy place to go, is indicative of how good they are as a team. Oh, the door's opening, and it's Chief Sports Writer Jonathan Lewis. <laughs> oh, here he is. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How are you doing, sir? Uh, I've actually got um, a little peek behind the curtain. I just got a text about a fairly significant cricket story uh, that we need to look at in a second. Heard a rumor about that. Okay, right. Well, we'll deal with that after the podcast. Uh, um, we've only got 19 minutes we, until we have to we, be out of here. Okay, cool. Should we move on to the game that I was at then? Yes, yeah. I think we should cover Watford Spurs um, because I guess it's one of the first real upsets for a big six team not called Crystal, uh, not called uh, Manchester United this season. Uh, Spurs going to Watford and losing. Watford somehow four from four. Um, the games I've seen, they've not been that good so i'd be interested to hear what you thought from vicarage road yesterday well i don't think they, they're that good like i don't think they will finish in the top six um but they they worked really hard they've played the same 11 players in all four games so far this season uh that they're, they're they're kind of you know they basically they get the ball forward quickly uh they've got Deeney and gray up front together which i know was a problem for them last season not being able to play the two together at the same time uh Pereira and hughes were very impressive in the kind of uh, like inside positions uh, in the four four two, both of them worked very very hard, uh, created chances, and it's weird. Even a defense in which no name stands out, they've got Daryl Yamat, Christian Capaselli, Craig Cathcart, and Jose Holobas. is is really well organized. You know, you can see what Javi Garcia is trying to do there, um, and I think they completely deserve their win. Like they they didn't really create anything in the first half, and in the second half they kept the pressure on. They started winning free kicks and set pieces. Um, and Spurs weren't good enough. To, Spurs weren't good enough to, to keep up with them. They they barely they didn't really create a huge amount. I mean no. the, goal, the goal was very scruffy. There were a lot of half chances. Deli Ali had a couple of half chances, but they for a team that normally creates so many chances. Uh, I think Pochettino talked about the the lack of aggression in the first half. Yeah, Pochettino hammered them afterwards. It was one of the um, it was one it was like the least happy I've seen him in a press conference. I was trying to think back to when the last time he was that pissed off was. Um, I actually, n- honestly, nothing springs to mind. It would have to be Wembley s- semi-final. I yeah, mean, he, maybe he was, he was but Wembley semi-final. He was like, so what was it? What, was it? Was it pure anger? Was it uh, fr- well, like I a frustration? What was? What he was? Used he used the word sloppy. Yeah. So it was. It. I. He said like, oh, I'm not upset. I'm not upset. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's he obviously exasperated. I think it was. I think it was anger at the players. I think it was a very clear message to the players. He suggested that they'd been complacent. Uh, he suggested that having won at United on Monday, where he didn't think they played well, that had gone to their heads. Uh, he and said the fact that he mentioned it on, was it Thursday or Friday? Right, yeah. Suggested that he, he kind of saw this coming as a problem. And the fact that he preempted it and they still 
went out and played like that. Yeah, he said that they should have been Lions, but instead they played as if it was like a preseason friendly in that first half. And then he's and then having having got having got the goal and gone ahead, he said that he he basically he said that they they didn't have the mentality of a really top team, which is to refuse to concede in that, in that situation. He actually pointed to the examples of City last year and Chelsea the year before, and said that like you know if you really want to be contenders, you don't concede two goals and set pieces when you're one nil up away from home. Is it more of an issue that that they created so little, or the fact that Watford had essentially one good spell in the second half and scored two goals? And that's a really good question. I'm going to say it's I, I think they're basically as bad as each other. I think that like the lack of creativity, I think the lack of creativity is a big problem. Um, I think that, like they had this kind of, you know, they kind of reminded me of yesterday it was England. Like they <laughs> played like the England formation that is like a three-five-two with Kane and Lucas Moura up front, and then Link, sorry, Ali and Christian Eriksen as the two like attacking midfielders with Dembele sitting. So it was literally the England three-five-two from the World Cup, but they, they didn't really create anything. They were a bit too direct. Eriksen, I mean. Dembele, I'm afraid to say, I think he looks finished. Ericsson couldn't really get in the game. Ericsson's been poor this season. Yeah, K- Kane, like... Slow, it, a slow start because of the like, World Cup, or...? It's kind of like England-Croatia Kane. Like, he's not really... He's not running in behind. He's The team is trying to make space for him on the edge of the box to, to shoot, but he's not really getting on the ball. Like, the first time I saw him do anything, really, was that header, which went just over the bar with five minutes left. But well, if he's not getting the support, then... He he needs to make the runs into the channels, but he ca- he can't make the runs into the channels because there's there's nobody there to. Well, that's kind of Lucas's job. Yeah. It, at the end of the World Cup, there's something clearly wrong with Harry Kane physically. Um, I think I remember the, we were at the Columbia game and watching him basically walk around for the extra time period. And afterwards, I remember saying to you, "Ask Southgate to see if he's got an injury. See if he's got an injury." And Southgate said it was cramp, right? And then for the Croatia game. Exactly the same thing happened like for the last half an hour, but then England go out rather than going through. So it's more like, okay, why was he still on the field if he could only walk around the centre circle, basically? And we never got a proper answer, I don't think. You know, Southgate has suggested after the, after the third, fourth place playoff game against Belgium in St. Petersburg, Southgate suggested that it was a game too far for Kane, although stopped short of naming Kane when put on the spot about it. But clearly Kane, like physically, Kane couldn't produce in the Sweden, Croatia and Belgium games the same level he produced in the first few games. Um, now, I, the, you know, the the question is whether or not Kane will be able to get back to his kind of last season level soon, or whether he'll be he will still be World Cup Kane. And this was very much an example of World Cup Kane, um, which makes you think, you know, when when will he be able to rediscover that kind of physical edge? When when will he be able to lead the line and run in behind and really kind of challenge defenders rather than just kind of loitering on the edge of the box hoping? a chance falls his way. Well, physically, I mean, let, let's fall back. So he, he would have come back from the World Cup sort of mid, mid-July, third, third week of July. He then has, what, two or three weeks off? And so w- what kind of what kind of conditioning has he had? What sort of rest has his body had? How, how has he managed? How many games did he play last season? Because, you know, one of the things we said about Spurs at the start of last year was, do they have a real alternative up front? And the answer was kind of no. And then, so he plays all these games. Then he has a very long World Cup campaign. He has a tiny bit of time off. He seems like the sort of player who really what he needs in this international break is a good two-week holiday of doing nothing. Yeah. Well, actually, what he said was that I think after the World Cup was that he the break was more to do with like mental rest and that ultimately he would retain the same level of fitness that he'd had from before. And it was pre-season was more about kind of tuning himself up rather than kind of starting from scratch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what we've learned about him is he's not somebody who is necessarily 
a worse player for, for playing 45, 50 games a season. It, it sort of girds him a little bit, but it doesn't look right. No, he he doesn't look right, and but they can't rest him either. No, they they can't rest him because one of the, you know one of the big problems they've had in the last three or four years has been their complete inability to find someone to be an alternative to him. What what would you do as an alternative to Harry right now? Would you when with Sun back? Would you would you start him centrally? Or is well, that or is the, that the way you go? The thing about so far this season is that they've been playing basically Kane and Lucas as a strike partnership. Now, if like if in theory Kane was injured, then maybe you could play Son and Lucas. Although that kind of gives you lots of pacing behind, but maybe not someone who can hold the ball up or head the ball in the same way. I but would play Deli Alley. You Deli and I, I would play Deli Alley. I mean, obviously not not in the same role, but he's one of Tottenham's best players in the air. Uh, yeah. He yeah. sneaky good in the air. Yeah, uh, good movement, pretty good finishing, uh, and if you, if he gets the ball, he's he's got the he's got the control to be able to lay it off which which is so much of what what Kane does well if if Deli Ali chases the ball into the channel a lot of the time he'll he'll come up with it even against yeah. a, a big defender i think you know it's a it's a role that I, th- I think he's more of a second striker that that's probably his best role but if Kane can't play he's probably the best they've got i don't think son is physically good enough to play that role but you could play you could play Ali and Son or Ali yeah, and Lucas. Yeah, yeah. There's a nice combination. And well, the best thing about that is you don't have to play Urente, who came with. I think we were all quite excited when Spurs signed Urente, but in fact he's ter- he's been terrible. I mean, the, p- the problem is that for teams like UNESCO Spurs, World Heritage site. <laughs> yeah, the problem with Spurs is that you can't have a team which is so much based on movement can't carry a player who can't move. Mm. Well, two years ago, when that when Ali had that really good season, he, he was playing a lot closer to goal, and I think I think you're correct. Like it, it's it's almost like a Around the time that four-two-three-one became really popular, you know, the 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 central attacking bit of that three became where you want the number ten playing. But really, if Ali's playing there, you want him as a as a second striker. And so much like I think a lot you've seen a lot of teams going back to four-four-two this year because you know the, the kind of cyclical nature of tactics and whatever. And the second striker is just like a almost like a Sheringham sort you know you, yeah. you want a player who, who drops in and links up you know, what's the difference between a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-4-2 if Sheringham or Deli Ali is one of the front two well it, 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 you know, yeah, yeah I mean dropping it, into holes it's cosmetic unless unless the wingers are, are inverted and uh but I, mean, I think he's I think Deli is underrated as a, as a penalty box striker and is overrated as a sort of a creative midfielder yeah he's not really that was one of the frustrations with the England with England in in the World Cup is that like you say, Ali. In the last few years, Ali's become basically a final th- a player who does all his work in the penalty box, which he's really, really good at. Like he's got, you know, the only good thing he mm. did in the World Cup was that header against Sweden, which is exactly the kind of goal that he's been scoring for Tottenham. Whereas if you put him in that midfield role, you're basically putting someone in midfield who doesn't really, he's not really going to control the pace of the game, not really going to help you keep the ball. He was a box, a box guy in a midfield five, basically, in the World Cup. Um, and yeah, that's I mean, his energy is good. Yeah, which actually brings us neatly on to the next topic, which is the like issues with England's midfield and how whether or not England will be any better in this international break than they were in the World Cup. Because I th- personally, I think that Southgate has not really addressed the big problem from the World Cup, which was that inability to keep the ball. And even at St George's Park the other day, he said that like not keeping the ball under pressure in the Croatia game was like the biggest problem that England had. And yet, when you look at the squad, I don't really think that he has included players for the Spain and Switzerland games, which will help England to address that 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 failure. Right, but I mean, if we go through these, I, I guess we'll, we'll we'll come to that that area. But I mean, you wrote about Will Hughes. He's I don't think he's ready yet. 
I think he, I mean, I like he might Hughes. as well be. I, I, I really like Hughes. I think he's, you know, he, he's, he was great at Derby. He might not be ready for Spain, but he could be ready for the Switzerland friendly. He's clearly bulked up a bit because he was getting, I mean, he used to get. He was, he was very spindly. Yeah. When he first came on the scene, he was spindly. Yeah, I think that's fair. muscle off the ball. Madison. Southgate must know him quite well, though, from the youth teams. They do not, like, there must be a reason Southgate hasn't gone through it. Well, he's only played, well, he played sort of second half of last season, but he's, he's you can't pick, I think, you can't pick someone for England based on 12 good days. I think those those days are sort of over. You yeah, I think that's certainly, that. that's how Southgate sees it. Like Southgate doesn't want to include include players off the back of just a few a few good games. I remember there was a moment last last season when at a squad announcement press conference, he actually said, there are lots of people in this squad who don't deserve to be here, but I've had to pick them because of numbers. Nice. So he wants to, he wants to like make it harder to get into the squad, basically. So I see that. But I also think, I think Southgate isn't, you know, in a lot of these times, he's not working on the small sample sizes that we think about because he, when he was with under-21s, he might have spent a lot of time with, with players like Will Hughes and, and whoever, basically knowing, you know, he's seen them a lot in training uh, at these little training camps ago, maybe took him to the Euros or whatever. I've seen him play like seven or eight games for the under-21s. Now he's performing in the Premier League. So it's not like it might look to us like a smaller sample size, but there will be players, I think, that do get the nod based on something and, and it j- that's what makes me think that maybe he's got uh, not like a deep uh, it makes it sound bad to say deep-seated issue with Will Hughes but like he must know Hughes quite well and he obviously doesn't think well, he's quite there me. yet yeah I, I mean this is one of those situations where I accept that Southgate knows more about this than I do yeah uh, he, he loves Lewis Cook for example yeah but he can't he can't play Lewis Cook because he's not been playing for Bournemouth no, right. But although he has picked like Fabian Delph, who's not been playing for City, and Adam Lallana, who's not been playing for Liverpool, it, it, clearly he's a huge fan of Lallana. Is Cook more of a is Cook more of a kind of energetic box to boxy sort of guy than a, a ball retainer, which is you know the issue I we're saying seen at hand. Lewis Cook to have an opinion. Well, he's he's energetic. He's he's tidy on the ball. I mean, he he does get, he gets around the pitch. He does his defensive work. He's he's a good presser. But I think his his main his main Strength, I guess, is that you give him the ball forty yards out, and he he'll do something with it, generally. Mm. But I, I I don't know enough about why he's not been playing for Bournemouth, where, whether he's, he's carrying a little niggle or, or whatever. But he was one that Spurs fancied a bit, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Before this, I know one. Um, who else? I mean, James Madison's a guy that you've liked for a while, Jack. Yeah, Madison. I actually think Hughes would be a better solution to England's problems than Madison, in the sense that Madison plays a bit further forward and is like more of a classical number ten. Whereas Hughes plays slightly deeper for Watford, um, and like Hughes is really, really impressive in his defensive work. Like that was what most stood out for me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, make him and Pereira worked incredibly hard, making it very difficult for Tottenham to create chances. Like Ali and Eriksson couldn't really get on the ball. He did that to Zaha against Palace yeah, as well. And yeah. that's why I think that Hughes would be a natural fit in that England system. Um, Madison is like more of a flair player. He's someone who wants the ball kind of twenty-five yards from goal. Uh, he always wants it. He will try. He will always try things. It won't always come off. Uh, he's more, s- and I, I kind of think that he's basically more of a player for the four-two-three-one than the sort of in, in that England system. I mean, he would have to play in that sort of Deli Ali or Lingard role. But I don't, I don't think he would necessarily. One, he's a very good player. I don't think he would necessarily solve the problem there, which is like a lack of ball retention. Whereas I think that Hughes or, or frankly Harry Winks, I think Winks would be yeah. a very, very good fit in that system. Remember Winks made his debut in the England game in November last year where Maguire made his debut and was really impressive. And were it not for that ankle injury he picked up, I would think... Would have gone to the World Winks, Cup. Yeah, Winks totally would have gone. 
Um, Head of Ruben, lost his cheek. Yeah, I think yeah. so. But then, obviously, it was a very difficult season for him. He eventually had ankle surgery. But he came on yesterday and was really impressive. And I'm hoping that, given Dembele's problems, that Winks, he might get back in the Spurs team. Yeah, I mean, do, do you think... Oh, I mean, I think we talked a lot during the World Cup about the limitations of Dyer in, in, in that position. Do you think, ultimately, Southgate wants that guy at the, at the bottom of the, the midfield three to be more of a passer than a more of a creative player than than a, a sort of a defensive midfielder um that's a really good question i kind of sense that might be the case but i don't think he will drop jordan henderson i think henderson's like henderson's henderson's experience and leadership is so important to this team that he will continue to be there even though like southgate might want to sign a different type right. of midfielder it's that balance between and I think that's probably why he hasn't picked Madison or Hughes or, you know, or Sancho or Foden or Lookman or, or you know, a lot of the, the players, you know, chuck them in. But I think he wants to strike that balance between kind of experience and, and pedigree and having kind of a wise head in that area. But also, you're not, the squads he's picking now, you're not necessarily trying to win now, kind of, are you? You, you are projecting a bit towards the next tournament. Like you've got to start, you start the new cycle. Before going, looking towards Euro 2020. And I know we've got the Nations League, um, which I guess he probably doesn't want to get relegated from, what are we, like Group group A or League A, whatever it is. League, league, league A, Group C, Group 3. But either way, like he, he doesn't want to get relegated from that. However, like you're playing against Spain and Croatia, like they're probably just going to go roughly with what we ended the World Cup with. And then as soon as you go into the qualification campaign, then... That's when you start bringing in the younger guys, maybe. Although he ha- he ha- t- to be fair to him, he has made he has made changes already. He's effectively and like Vardy, Cahill, and Ashley Young are out of the picture. I know Vardy and Cahill said that they they have chosen to step mm. back, but I think it's probably more of a mutual de- decision. Fine, yeah, whereas yeah. Young, I think it was Southgate's decision. So he is trying to change. He is moving the profile of the squad along from the World Cup. Um, you know, looking further down the line, it'll be interesting to see how. This is something that we, I mean, we discussed in the World Cup. How much are people going to care? Like, it's not, I'm not expecting kind of Croydon Box Park scenes on Saturday when England play Spain. Like, but will people care more than they cared for England games in the past? Or is it going to be the kind of like Saturday evening entertainment that people don't It's on Sky, like? isn't it? It is on Sky, yeah. Yeah, people won't care. Will people go to the pub to watch it? They might be in the pub anyway. And it uh, on. Yeah, I think it's, oh, look, it's on rather than the other way around. I'm going to go. I'm gonna go um, to Wembley or to the pub? To Wembley, no, to Wembley, just because I think it's going to be an interesting test for Luis Enrique as well. Did you read that, that Will Hughes went to Croydon Box Park during the World Cup? I didn't. Cup? <laughs> no, no, is he, that right? He did an interview with, uh, with uh, Sam Wallace for the, for the Sunday Tale, I think. And that, that's the new Harry Maguire went to Euro 2016 with his yeah, mates, exactly, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And he got, he was, so he got um, a table at the front, he booked a table at the front, so, you know, away from the, but he still, he was, he still got totally soaked with beer. And uh, I, I wish I wish somebody had got a photo of him. Somebody recognised him. I mean, he, he's quite recognisable. He must have been wearing. He's probably got, got a baseball cap on, back to front, some sort of Boston Red Sox number. You know, that's like the football that's the kind of fashion. Thing that we want. We 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 need to encourage more of this is to kind of give our give like prospective England players who played under twenty ones. Like this is this could be you. Like yeah, a sort, yeah, like yeah. A sort of work placement scheme. Yeah, like no, an, it is. an industrial apprenticeship. It's like a little taste. Isn't it? Here's what you could have. Here you are getting soaked in Tuborg, but just then <laughs> two years down the line, you could be uh, you, you could be out there playing for real. But well, I, I kind of I I really hope that that some of that. Inth- I mean, it's unrealistic to think that all that enthusiasm will carry over into like um, international games, which ultimately I think people would rather club football still continuing. 
but I hope that some of that enthusiasm is maintained. I'm it's, it's not like last time. I mean, people were, I mean, two years ago, one year ago, when you get to the, the August with the September International Day, people are like, oh, Christ, do we have to do, we have to do this? I mean, what, what, what was that conversation we had during the World Cup where you were talking about after, after you were 96? Did that, like, the, the continuation yeah, because, of enthusiasm? Because, but then you, had the, then you had Hoddle coming in and you had a whole new generation, Beckham making his debut, uh, who else came through in sort of 90, 96, 7? You, know, you, had, you had a whole load of new players. It was, it was a new, um, kind of a new era. People were really excited about the England team. I don't know whether it's going to be the same here, just because the club game is, is just so far beyond where, where we were 22 years ago. But I, I like to think that some of that residual... You know, people don't hate England. People don't hate the international football. and People aren't, aren't tired of it uh, in the way that I think they, they normally are at this time of year. And I, I think that's, that's all we can really hope for for now. Yeah, it, I mean, ultimately, this will give us some indication of like one of the big questions of the World Cup, which is, is the newfound popularity of the England team, is that a function of like them being, uh, you know, a new team that with young players who plays expansive football and is, managed, and is managed by a nice guy? Or is it just that people like getting incredibly drunk in the sun uh, <laughs> on evenings and weekends in June and July? I mean, I think like there was this kind of counter view that it was in fact the latter explanation. Mm. That's why England were pop. That's why everyone liked England. It wasn't because they played three five two with two number eights. Right. That that's a function of England doing well and and qualifying and, and getting in, you know, getting out of the group and getting into big games, which itself I think is a function of them being pretty decent guys and and, yeah. and, and, a, and a united squad and and so you know th- th- these these things are all linked. Uh, whether there's there's sort of an element of justification there. Um, that's that's kind of debatable, but I, th- I think it's 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 not just because people just want to go to the pub and, and you know because they can do that anyway and will. It's a combination of circumstances. Of uh, I think Southgate played an absolute blinder with how he portrayed the England team and, and how he managed the situation all summer long. I think he deserves immense credit for that. That was ultimately the, the great victory is getting people back on side with an England team that had lost people's interest. Tie into that the hottest summer in years. You know all the booze, everything that that people want to do. Like just people just want to enjoy themselves, and the fact that the World Cup itself is a, is a great thing that people really get behind, and it's free to watch, and it's so easy to watch, and everyone's talking about it. That is the perfect cocktail for the summer. You're not going to get that level of interest now, or the, for the games in October where they play against Spain and Croatia. However, you're not asking for that. You're just asking for a little bit more buy-in. You're you're asking for. You know, like, will people keep in touch a little bit more so that going ahead to the Euros in 2020, they're like, oh, actually, I might, might travel to one of those games, might travel if to two if of those if games. England, if England get good results... That's, that's it, yeah. If England, if England beat Spain or Croatia, they'll be in an in a international tournament final next or semi-final and final next June, which could be a really big deal again. And if it's sunny, you know, you know everyone will be back in. Yeah. yeah you know, it's going to be a June little... Sky, though, it? Yeah, and don't forget, uh, Croatia away in October... That's behind closed doors in Rijeka, so we don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about like the, the crowd Croatian stuff, yeah. crowd. You know, we're catching Spain uh, with a new manager, so I think we can. I think we're definitely going to win it. It's coming home. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, thank you both for coming in today. Uh, we have to leave the studio because TV people are far more important than us. Um, any word on Liverpool, Chelsea, or Arsenal? Because apparently we always spend too much time talking about the big clubs, and we've not mentioned them once today. Anything that you saw this weekend? Um, Joe Gomez is going to win uh, Player of the Year. Congratulations to Joe Gomez. I nearly forgot that we had Luke Brown in uh, far distant Wales yesterday for the game against Cardiff City. And he was kind enough to send me 
an audio note of his thoughts. Uh, so we'll just clip a little bit of Luke in before we say goodbye to the guys. Hi all. So I've just got back into London after the uh, fairly long trip back from Cardiff, having watched Arsenal in a, another really entertaining match. Um, obviously they won. Although it's difficult to pinpoint exactly what we learned about Emery's side here, given that, you know, really the match actually followed a pretty familiar pattern um, and, and certainly one that, that we saw in Arsenal's last match against West Ham. Um, so, you know, let's be positive and, and start with the good stuff um, because I think Emery does deserve some slack and I think there were things that Arsenal can, you know, be encouraged by in this performance. Um, so going forward, Arsenal looked really quite good, um, and that and that's significant really because this is the first time that we've seen Lacazette start up front for Arsenal um, this season in that kind of central attacking role, um, and and he was great. He set up the second goal with a really lovely little flick, um, and then he scored you know a great winner late on, and it, and it was interesting actually to hear Emery speak after the game in his post-match presser about how he first became a fan of Lacazette during, during the strikers' time at Lyon when, when Emery was obviously at PSG. Um, and I think you can take that really as a sign that Lacazette is is valued a lot by the new coaching team. You know, it hasn't always seemed that way this season, but I think that was maybe an acknowledgement by Emery that he thinks Lacazette has got an important role to play. Um, and, and maybe that's an indication that he's going to get more chances in that central striking role. Um, and then the other encouraging thing, from from Lacazette's performance, really, was his partnership with Aubameyang, who was moved out wide. Um, we've heard Aubameyang say before this season, actually, that he really enjoys playing with Lacazette and that he thinks Lacazette makes a good strike partner and that he kind of unlocks a few different elements in, in his game. Um, and, that, and that was quite clear to see against Cardiff. There was some really good link-up play between the two um, and Lacazette assisted Aubameyang's goal before scoring the winner himself. So those two were kind of crucial for Arsenal. Um, but, you know, Arsenal were also crap at the back, so we should probably get on to the bad stuff. Um, and, yeah, the defence is, is still awful. And, and look, people like to take Czech, who was pretty ropey, and they like to take Mustafi, and they like to slate Socrates or, or whoever. But it's just so obvious at this point, I think, that it goes so much deeper than that, those defensive problems. It, it's a problem with the system. Um, and, that, and that's fine, I think, because... It's still early days and Emery is trying something new. He's trying to in introduce something new, so there's going to be teething problems. But that high line, which is causing Arsenal so many problems, is inextricably linked with how effectively their midfielders and the forwards are actually pressing further on up the pitch. Um, and basically, that they're not always doing that. So, you know, while we can slay Arsenal defensively, it's more than just their defenders. You know, it's a whole team issue. Um, and, and it's easy to pick on check for you know, messing up a few short passes. And, and he was he was terrible. But, you know, it, I think it goes beyond that, basically. Um, plus, obviously, one thing that needs to be mentioned as well is Granduzzi and Xhaka are just too expansive and, and probably too lightweight as well to really be relied upon to offer their defence much screening. Um, the Arsenal got better when Torreira came on and he, and he was actually, he set up the third goal too. So I think it won't be long before Torreira is starting for Arsenal. And maybe, you know, Leno too. But that's that's probably another issue. Um, but I, I've been listening on for ages. So I, I would quickly like to say something about Cardiff who, who really surprised a few people, I think. Um, you know, and I'm sure I wasn't the only yuppie London bastard to just assume they're heading, they'd park the bus and... And they didn't, you know. And afterwards, Neil Warnock actually, he said that, you know, he felt Arsenal 
were there for the taking basically and and Cardiff had spent the week devising this plan to really get at them and, and it worked you know they hadn't scored a Premier League goal this season they ended up with two they were really good out wide um, they were they considered a goal from a set piece actually the first goal which was quite uncharacteristic from them um, you know and, and although they fell short and, and without wishing to sound too condescending you know this really was a performance to be proud of um, it was a statement performance and I think it's important when, when teams come up to the Premier League they need that big performance early you know regardless of whether they win lose or draw they need that kind of big defining performance early doors and, and this felt like it could be that for Cardiff um, if they play that way against some of the, the smaller teams then you know it, it shouldn't be long before they're picking up some good results um, so yeah that's probably it for me um, I need to go and buy dinner goodbye uh, thank you Jonathan Liu for coming in Sorry, oh, sort of. Sorry, I was late. You were here, you were here. Uh, Jack Bitbrook, thank you for your sterling efforts. Um, My pleasure. Particularly as you were the only one out of the two of us that actually went to a game this weekend. And uh, I've been Ed Manley, and thank you, as always, for listening to the Indie Football Podcast. Hopefully the sound quality this week is better than it has been in previous weeks. And we will talk to you soon enough. What was that? When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.